This is the word of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge, for some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that, the exer- that your exercise of your right does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So the weak brother or sister for whom God for who Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Hey, what's up, South Point? My name's Kenny. Glad to be here. This is awesome to have you here. How are you? All right, let's get this out of the way right from the get-go. There have been times in my life, and I know you're going to find this hard to believe, where I have been labeled a troublemaker. I know. I know you find it hard to believe. All right, maybe before Christ, right? You can, you can see that. But not after Christ. Maybe a little bit. <laughs> maybe a little bit after Christ. I, you know, sometimes you just can't help yourself, right? I'm going to give you an example. My oldest son, Kyle, is the biggest Michigan State fan there is. He loves his green and white. I am not. Uh, you cut me, I will bleed maize and blue. I love them, win, lose, or draw. I'm a U of M fan. It's always going to be that way, right? Now, I'm not saying that Michigan State doesn't, doesn't have its purpose. If you want to learn how to grow grass or impregnate a crow, it's a great school. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like Michigan State, but when Michigan State and Ohio State play, I pray they both lose. <laughs> So when my grandson comes over, right, what do I do? I do everything in my power to get him to say, let's go blue, and then I videotape it and I send it to my son. (laughs) All right, maybe a little bit of bad influence. Or when he comes over, my grandson goes, Papa, Everybody know what is? It's that Cool Whip can that you spray in their mouth. A little bit. It's nice being the old man. I like being the bad influence. (laughs) price you pay you want me to watch your kids though man (laughs) since you're gonna get I mean Chris and I are grandparents now right and from my understanding I think I think what we're supposed to do we have a legal obligation to do the dumbest and silliest things we can with those kids (laughs) I think it's like the 30th amendment or something that you have to disregard any anything that the legal guardian says about our grandkids you're a middle school or high school student you're in here today you know exactly what I'm talking about you hear your parents say no and automatically you know they're wrong I get it, I'm old. My parents ruined my life too, though. (laughs) 
What we experience in our families is what we experience in culture too. Family's just a, a, a small glimpse of society. What's okay to do, what's not okay to do, right? And a lot of teens are using the reasoning, well, all my friends are doing it, all my friends' parents let them do it. And I know as a parent, nothing can be more infuriating than hearing that, that other parents are allowing somebody to do something. But don't we do the same thing as parents? Well, everybody at work talks like that. No, you don't have to, re- no, nobody really obeys the speed limit. Five over, I'm safe, right? It's like when two lanes of traffic are coming together, sooner or later, somebody has to merge, right? Or you're gonna have an accident. So it's just like the road sign that we have as a graphic for this whole series. How do we know when it's our turn? How do we know when we're supposed to yield? And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in his writing to this church that he started in a city, a Greek city of Corinth. The Corinthians grew up in this, in this culture that said, just do it, right? It's okay. You find your happiness and you find your truth in whatever it is that makes you happy. And there weren't many rules. And now they met Jesus and they're trying to live like Christ. They're trying to live like Christians. I mean, just a few days ago, they had no rules. They were free to have sex with whoever they wanted to have sex with, to do whatever they wanted, smoke whatever they wanted, drink whatever they wanted. They didn't care. Everything was good. They could watch whatever they wanted to watch, listen to whatever they wanted to listen to, and we kind of go through that as well, don't we? We do the same thing as Christians, and now that I'm a Christian, what do I do? How do I live life now? I mean, the culture, their culture never changed, right? The people are still doing the same things they always did. Our culture doesn't change. People are still doing the same things. How do we know what's right and wrong? If you're new with us today, I'm glad you're here because I think this is something that we all struggle with, not just Christians, but non-Christians alike, right? And we're gonna deal with this in our families. We're gonna deal with this in our work. We're gonna deal with it in our homes. And most importantly, we're gonna deal with it in our own minds. And the conclusion that we found as Christians is this, Jesus is trustworthy. However, we still struggle with specific decisions, so I'm just going to encourage you to open your Bibles, your Bible apps, whatever you got, the 1 Corinthians 1, I'm going to encourage you to read that throughout the week, but check it out, open your Bible Bible apps right now, and and we're going to kind of go through it. Now, before we go through what Paul said, I want to go back to the original source, I want to go back to Jesus and find out what he said. In John 17, he said, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus said that his prayer wasn't that God takes us away and kind of isolates us, but that he protects us from the evil one. See, remember the Christians, the Corinthians, they didn't grow up in church and they didn't grow up knowing anything about Jesus. And Paul is trying to do everything he can to teach them all about Christianity and teach them about Christ and show them by living by example what a Christian has looked like because they don't have a clue. And I got a feeling a lot of us in here today understand what that's like. We're in the same boat. Even if you grew up in church, you typically, one of those churches followed one of two camps. The first group was was totally isolated themselves. They cut their cable. They didn't listen to certain things. They didn't watch certain things. They didn't listen to anything that was read or listen or watch anything that wasn't Christian. They homeschool their kids. They don't even spend time with non-Christians. And typically these churches and these Christians, they just got a ton of rules. And their rules become equal to or even greater than Scripture. And then there's the second camp. The second camp is where Christians not only engage with culture, they become acclimated to it. And they become accepting and they accept it. And we compromise and we do whatever culture says is okay and we do whatever the culture does. And in these situations, these Christians and their feelings and their thoughts and their their reasoning become equal to or even greater than Scripture. See, that first group, they, they tend to think that everything they do makes them better than others. 
and they become judgmental and they become exclusive. And the second group becomes so liberal that they abandon God's word and they make their own truth. The first group uses God's word to beat other people down and the second group no, no longer uses God's word at all. And Jesus said, I don't want you to completely disengage with anybody because we have a new mission now, right? And our new mission is to, to win people to Christ. However, protect them from the evil one. Protect them so they don't go back to that life that they once lived. See, the Corinthians, they grew up in this Greek culture that was famous for valuing knowledge. Their knowledge and their mind made them better than all the other nations. And this, this sense of arrogancy and this sense of, of superiority was obviously stuck with these Corinthian Christians even after they got baptized. So Paul comes along and he quotes them and he says, all possess knowledge, you say, but knowledge isn't everything. Your wife says she wants you to be honest with her, so you begin to critique everything she wears, you begin to critique everything she makes. You really want to go outside looking like that? <laughs> yeah. You throw a little more spice in this or a little more oregano in that? See, just because you have the information doesn't mean you know how to use it. How are these Christians, these Corinthian Christians, how are they misusing the information they had, the knowledge they had? For them, strange enough, it was meat. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. See, this was brand new to these Corinthian Christians, right? They used to worship all kinds of God. Their temples were just filled with these idols and these gods. And they grew up making sacrifices and, and, and giving gifts to these gods. And now they know Jesus. And they know that there are no other gods and all these idols and all these gods are fake. And it frees them from the slavery of, of a ton of former beliefs. But not everybody knew this and not everybody believed this and not everybody accepted this. Even some of the new Christians who, who grew up around this and grew up with this in their lives, they carried some of these superstitions and these beliefs with them even after baptism. You know, I grew up in a church that was, I don't think it was actually preached from the pulpit, but if you didn't wear your Sunday best every single Sunday, you weren't a real Christian. At least that's how it felt. Or maybe you grew up in a home where you had foul language your whole life. And it's just normal for you, and you don't see anything wrong with it, and you don't see anything offensive to it. And now after meeting Jesus, you, you still bring those thoughts and you still bring those beliefs with you, right? And you realize that something's wrong and you've got to change, and you don't quite understand it, you don't quite understand how, you just know you've got to do it. But here's something a lot of people don't realize. Back there in those days, the only time common people actually got a chance to eat meat was during these pagan festivals. They would sacrifice animals and they, everybody would come together and they'd just indulge as a form of worship to these false gods and these idols. And then after the festivals were over, they would take all the meat and they'd give it to all, the, all of the uh, meat markets, all the local markets. So anytime somebody would go and they'd buy meat from these markets, guess what? They were buying meat that was sacrificed to these idols. And these Corinthian Christians are going, hold on a minute, is it okay for us to eat this? Can we eat this meat that was sacrificed? I mean, we know that there's only one God... Is this okay? And Paul comes along and he gives another powerful truth. He said, but food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat and no better if we do. See, some people thought if they eat a certain way or if they eat in certain foods or they eat at certain times or certain places, it allowed you to draw closer to God. And Paul quickly gives them this knowledge so that they don't misuse this. He says, be careful, however. 
that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block for the weak. I want you to think about that for a minute. That meat is just meat. Those gods are false gods, so eating that meat is not a sin. However, it's not just about you. It's not just about your knowledge. It's not just about your freedom. Sometimes we have to yield. You know, the last couple of weeks, there's been a couple of celebrities that use some pretty foul language in the public eye. And both reacted in, in different ways. Megan Rapinoe, who's a U.S. women's soccer team captain, recently said, I'm not going to the blankety bank White House. And then she dropped an F-bomb on TV, and later when she was asked about it, she doubled down and said it again. Tom Brady, quarterback for the New England Patriots, a six-time Super Bowl champ, was playing golf, and he had a bad golf swing. And he used some foul language, and he turned around and looked, and there was kids right there, and the first thing he said was, I'm sorry. See, both these people have the right to do whatever it is they want to do. However, these people are national role models for our kids. So what's the best thing for them to do? Do you want to be the one that encourages that 13-year-old to say, Mom, I'm not going to that blankety-blank family reunion? You know, lately there have been some very violent protests in Seattle. You remember in 1996, remember the guy who said he was a Christian who actually bombed the abortion clinic in Atlanta, Georgia? See, we all have the right to gather. We all have the right to protest whatever we want. However, it's not just about you. It's beyond that. It's learning to exercise your rights in an appropriate way. Because when people abuse their rights, when you abuse your personal rights, the people around us suffer. That's exactly what Paul said. He said, so this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Paul says that's a sin. That's not innocent. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul says that if using my freedom in Christ causes somebody else to sin and somebody else to struggle, then as a Christian, I need to yield. I love beef. I love steaks. I love hamburger. I love ribs. I like steak fajitas. I eat it all. I love it all. But if it causes one of you to sin, I will quit eating it tomorrow. And that's what Paul's saying. And that brings us to our big idea. I will forgo my rights if it causes others to stumble. It's not because we have to do this. It's because we get to be like Jesus. I want you to listen to Paul's reasoning as he talks about this in another one of his letters. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He did that for us. He was in heaven. He was in paradise. He had it made. And he came down here to be a servant for us. I mean, before you became a Christian, right, you were your own person. You could, you could follow whoever you wanted to follow. You could be like whoever you wanted to be like. You made the decision about what's right and what's wrong. And now that you met Jesus, guess what? Follow him now. Jesus, who is God, didn't use his own infinite freedom 
for his own advantage. He yielded for us. And Paul said, listen, if God's going to yield in every single Christian that, that ever exists and myself, then Christians have to yield too. He said, that's what I'm going to do. See, there's no reasoning or, or evidence for the fact that the Christians should be, not be like the two groups that we talked about earlier. We should just be like Jesus. So how do we know how to be like Jesus, right? How do we decide what's right and wrong? How do we know when it's our turn to yield? I'm going to give you four questions to help you with that. Four questions that you need to ask. The first one is, what does the Bible say? That's the most important. What does Scripture tell us? The Bible is the Word of God. It is the law of God. It tells us what God has for us, what he wants us to do, what he doesn't want us to do, what the boundaries are, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. See, we are a Bible-believing church, and we make no apologies about that. We believe that the Bible is 100% without error in the living Word of God. And it doesn't matter what culture, it doesn't matter what time of history, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter your race, it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter your generation, it doesn't matter your preference, and it doesn't matter your experiences. The Bible speaks to all people, giving them one set of truth. One set of truth for all time. See, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change, we do. Our society does, our culture does. And what that means is that if the Bible says it's a sin, guess what, brother, it's a sin. That's a non-negotiable. See, murder is murder, no matter whether somebody did something wrong to you or whether it's an innocent baby in a womb. Rape is rape. Sex of any kind outside of a marriage between a man and a woman is sin. Lying is lying, and it's a sin. Because the Bible says those things are wrong. Guess what? It's wrong for all people. It's wrong for all times. It's, all for wrong. it's wrong for all places. These are universal sins here. And the first thing we have to ask is, what does my Bible say? If the Bible says no, then you've got to say no. By the way, if it's illegal... Like drinking under the age of 21 or smoking under the age of 18, even if your parents say it's okay, guess what? It's a sin. You know why? Because Scripture tells us that we are to obey the law of the land unless it goes directly against God. To live in peace with our neighbors and to live in peace with our authorities. So parents, remember that next time your kids want to go to a party, remember that next time you want to have a party in your own home. But if the Bible doesn't specifically say something, if the Bible doesn't specifically tell us not to do something, then you are free to do it, but you need to move on to question number two. What does my conscience say? Scripture says that we were created and made in a very image of God. And as image bearers, guess what? We have a conscience. It's like a rudder on a boat, right? It keeps us out of trouble. It keeps us from crashing into the, into the rocks. It keeps us from being destroyed. See, people all over the world, whether you're Christian or non-Christian, we all got morals, we all got ethics. Certain things that are morally wrong, even if you don't believe in God, things like stealing is wrong no matter where you go. Things like rape is wrong, murder is wrong, molesting a child is wrong no matter where you go in this world. And it's one, of those, it's one thing to prove the very existence to God. But for, day, for today, that's just proof that you have a conscience. And that's a good thing. If you believe that certain things are morally wrong, that means your conscience is at least somewhat working. But I want you to listen to what Paul tells Timothy. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose conscience has been seared with a hot iron. That's not good. 
See, if you're a Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and it lives inside, that's God. And the Holy Spirit uses and speaks to us through our conscience. If scripture is silent or scripture is neutral on a specific cultural activity, then we are, ex- we are responsible for what our conscience tells us. Let's be honest, you know what you're doing is wrong. You know if you're wrong and you know if you're right and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to be able to stop if we're doing something wrong. But it is very co- possible for you to have a seared conscience, to be ruined and no longer working and that's dangerous. You can live in such a way that you no longer hear your conscience or even care whether you're doing is right or wrong. You justify it by saying, you know what, it's right by me. It's what I believe. Then guess what, your conscience can be seared. And the best analogy I've ever seen on that is if your heart is a circle and sin is that triangle and every time you sin, that triangle turns, it takes a chunk out of your heart and it hurts. Then you sin again and it takes a chunk out of your heart and it hurts. And you do it again and again and again and it hurts and it hurts and it hurts. Pretty soon all those chunks are gone and that sin is spinning and you don't even realize it. That's a seared conscience. But God comes along and he patches all those holes up on the side of your heart so every time you sin, you, it hurts again. Don't sear your conscience again. See, to prevent this, we've got to stay close and we've got to stay in God's word. We've got to be obedient. We've got to be in our Bible every single day. How do you grow close to somebody? How do you go close to your husband, to your wife, to your kids? You spend time with them, right? That's how you know them. The same thing holds true with God. You're not going to know him unless you spend time with him in his word. Put yourself around other mature believers, somebody to hold you accountable. i got people that hold me accountable, people at church, people at work, people at home. See, if you're close to God and you're, and you're obedient and you're growing in your prayer life and you're obedient in all that you know to be obedient to, then you can trust the Holy Spirit's going to work through your conscience. So when your conscience clearly tells you that you're against something, you know it's a sin for you. But that doesn't make it a sin for others. If you are 100% convicted to homeschool or maybe you want to send your kids to, to public school, you have that choice. If you are 100% convicted that you're never going to eat meat again or you're never going to eat meat byproducts again, that's okay. Go for it. That's for you. But please don't hold me to that same standard because I love my beef. (laughs) If the Bible says it's a sin, it is a sin. But if the Bible doesn't say the first thing we need to do is listen to our conscience. And that is why it's so important that we stay so close to God and we trust our conscience. See, Christians are first responsible to Scripture and then we're responsible to our conscience. But the third question you need to ask after that, if both those are clear, is what does your weakness say? See, I can go hang out at a bar every single day and never be tempted to get drunk. I can watch action movies on TV with violence and never be tempted to lose my temper at work or at home. However, if there's a little bit of chip dip in the fridge... And I know my wife wants that chip dip more than anything. I am so tempted to eat it. I will even deceive her and tell her that it wasn't there. You may not admit it, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. Which means you know what Paul's talking about. There are things that we struggle with and sins that each one of us has to deal with. 
You're weak in a certain area. I'm weak in a different area. So you, you may have the freedom to watch a movie with foul language, but if you start hearing those things coming out of your mouth, if you start thinking things that you shouldn't think about, maybe for you that's not so wise. I had a show that I loved one time. I used to watch a show. I got into the second, the second season, and my mind started going to places it shouldn't go, so guess what? I stopped watching it. It's that easy. If you are close to God and you are being obedient, then you can trust your conscience. But make sure you don't just gloss over that. But if you see yourself struggling with, with the things that are said or maybe the words that are said or the things that the people are saying or the things that they are doing, then maybe that's not wise for you. Maybe you shouldn't listen to it. Maybe you struggle with, with lustful thoughts about somebody that you're not married to or negative thoughts that come from, from, from songs. I mean, sometimes the words from songs can be more powerful than God's words, right? And it begins to show in our language and it begins to show in our thought life and it begins to show at work and it begins to show in our actions and the next thing you know, it begins to show in how we treat others. An example, there's no Bible verse that says getting a tattoo is a sin. But maybe you want a tattoo because you crave attention or you crave acceptance. Or maybe you smoke cigarettes or you smoke weed to unwind and find peace. Instead of going to God's word, instead of going to prayer first, we are dependent on something else. And you can justify that all you want. Believe me, I can justify it with the best one. Especially since there's no exact Bible verse, right? But if it's wrong, it is wrong to engage in anything that pulls you away from Christ. Final question. What does or do your friends need? This one's kind of like the third one, but it's, a, it's more along the lines of the people around you. And I know that I don't struggle with my language, but guess what? My kids might. My coworkers might. My friends might. I don't have a temptation to get drunk if there's a beer present, but if I go out with a buddy of mine who's an alcoholic, what do you think I should order? And you can say it doesn't matter, and you can say it's not hurting anybody, and you can say it's okay, but Paul says you're wrong. Not just with non-Christians, but with everyone. If your brother or sister is struggling with whatever it is that they're struggling with, do not take advantage of your freedom and make them feel bad or make them be tempted or make them fall into sin. And if it's your non-Christian friends, then show them what life with Christ is like. Man, life with Christ is so much better. Let them experience that. It's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't take advantage of his freedoms. He didn't take advantage of, of anything. He yielded. See, in our culture, just like in the town of Corinth, to yield is countercultural. You don't hear people saying, you know what, you need to forego your rights. We are taught to fight for our rights, right? Defend our rights at all costs. But that is not what God demonstrated, and that was not what Jesus did. But remember this, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Man, you want real freedom? Jesus said that real freedom is found in him. Not in the exercise of your freedoms, not in subjecting your freedoms to the, to the foot of the cross. Subjecting them to the authority of Christ. 
Next week, we're going to see how giving up our freedoms, not just for ourselves, can help, not just ourselves, but they can help others. So I just encourage you to come back to that. And I'm really going to encourage you to take a step back and look really hard at your life, especially over the next few weeks in this series. Take each area of your life, your social media choices, your work choices, your language, your decisions, how you treat your kids, how you treat your coworkers, your rules in your home, your rules at church, and ask those four questions that we just went through. I did it. And I had to make some adjustments. And you probably will too. But if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciple. Right now I want to ask you another question. Doesn't Jesus sound amazing? Doesn't he seem trustworthy? I mean, he is offering true freedom here. Not American freedom, not personal freedom, but he's talking about ultimate freedom. Peace. Truth. The Holy Spirit being your rudder in life to steer you around and keep you out of trouble.